Good morning. It's so good to be here. I just have to look at everyone. Uh, the last time I was preaching here, there were about four people physically present and everyone else joining us remotely. Um, and I do want to extend a warm welcome to those who are joining us remotely. It's been so encouraging to find out about the new people who've joined Redeemer during our virtual time. Some people who are out of the country, um, some people who are in the country and out of state. So it's been exciting. And I look at that as, you know, the Lord is really redeeming all things and um, working all things for good. I was also uh, really appreciated something Amanda said yesterday, I mean last week, excuse me, and that is that it's good to hear noise in the sanctuary. <laughs> um, last week someone knocked over their water bottle and it just really blessed me to hear that. So I don't necessarily want you to knock over a water bottle to bless me, but, you know, if you feel led. But it's just good to be together. And it's good to really know that we're also able to have this new opportunity to go virtual. So it's, it's just, a, I think we're in a good place. And I also think I can speak for everyone to say that I've been loving the children's moments. We've had, like, a double sermon. <laughs> we get the, the children's message and then another message. And so I want to thank everyone who's contributed to that. Um, I want to thank Pastor Stephanie, too. Uh, if you don't have kids, you might not be aware that she's produced a whole bunch of YouTube videos that are amazing with really powerful messages for our kids. So I just want to say that, you know, as an educator, I had to do a whole bunch of videos and put a lot of things online. It takes a lot of work. So I'm really appreciative for her work. And I'm really appreciative, again, that we can have this blessing and encouragement um, to so many individuals. Now, switching gears a little bit, but still kind of related, if I were to tell you that I loved books, most of you would not be surprised, okay? It might be an occupational hazard. Um, but truth be told, I love children's books, probably even more than books with footnotes. Um, and I just, that's another thing that's been kind of fun, too, is to see the things that, that Stephanie has done with the, the YouTube but um, I just have a little bit of a confession here. Before I changed gears in my life and went back to theological studies, I worked in a think tank. And early on at that time, I worked in as a computer specialist. And I want you to really, <laughs> this is going to date me, but think mainframes. Does anybody here know what a mainframe was? <laughs> okay, they still exist, obviously, but most of our interactions are not with mainframes. But there was one particularly horrible day when we lost power, which was devastating for a lot of people, and I was part of the team that was going back to restore things. And as I was crawling around under a desk, I unplugged the wrong cable, which meant that I unplugged somebody's computer, her terminal, before she had saved things. Now, I was called a number of choice names, none of which appear on my birth certificate. Um, soon after that, there were other harrowing things that happened. When things finally calmed down, I turned on my answering machine. Again, some of you might not know what that is. Um, and I put a note on my door that said it'll be back in an hour. I walked up to the university bookstore. I sat on the floor, and I read children's books for an hour, which kind of brought me back to reality, put me in a different realm. So the power of children's literature. That's why I want to start today by talking about a delightful book that I found. Um, it's called The Land of Lost Things. And it is in English and Spanish. So for those of us who want to learn Spanish, it's a great choice. Now, in this book, 
a young boy gets ready to start drawing, and he opens his pencil box, only to discover that the blue pencil is gone. But as he looks carefully, he sees a little crack in the pencil box, and so he decides to enter it. And when he enters it, he comes into the land of lost things. And there he finds not only his blue pencil, but the blue pencil forest. Then overhead, he sees the flock of lost socks. He wanders by the garden of lost umbrellas. And then he comes to my favorite, the mountain of lost mittens. Now the author has also, is also the illustrator, and the illustrations are wonderful. So I highly recommend this book. But oh, if only we had a land that was truly that delightful for the things that we've lost. But all too often we know it's not like that. Uh, we only have to think about this past year and a half. Because of the pandemic, we've lost so many important things, um, including things that we took for granted, like physical community, although we are starting to get this back. But we've lost lives, we've lost opportunities, at the same time, we've lost many things, including lives, to the racial discrimination and trauma that's taken place in our land. And unrelated to those realities, we've lost significant individuals during this time. I think very much and often about our dear sister and friend, Helen Bass, we've lost. If only we could go to the land of lost things and find everything there. But it's not that simple, as we all know. <clears throat> now, it's good to grieve. And it's really good to lament over the things that we've lost in these past months. And I know that we need to be intentional about that. There really is something very healing and restorative about grieving. But I actually want to encourage this morning, us this morning by focusing on the things that we have not lost, which I think is really powerfully encouraging. And that's what struck me as I was looking at Ephesians 1. It's filled with a list of things that we have not lost. So right away, if you remember the reading and you can look along in your bulletins, it starts out with praise and blessing. In the first verse, verse 3, it talks about we have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, that's great, but I don't know about you, that can sound a little ethereal or out there. At least at first read, it's hard to know what that means. So I want to talk a little bit about the heavenly realm. For many people, heaven is up there. It's definitely not right here. But I don't think that heaven is really about geography. It's more about a different kind of reality. Since Jesus has been bodily resurrected, and praise God, we will be bodily resurrected, there's certainly a physical dimension to heaven. But I don't really think it's up there. So think about John's Gospel, John chapter 20, verse 26, where Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is able to pass through a locked door. Or think about Acts 9, where the risen Jesus appears to Saul. In both cases, it seems like the heavenly realm exists somehow alongside the earthly realm. Now, ultimately, we won't know until a later time, but I mention this because if the heavenly realm seems 
out there, up there, then it's likely that the spiritual blessings that are talked about in Ephesians 1 are also going to seem far off. But this verse claims that we have all of those spiritual blessings now. Another way to think about that is that Jesus is in the heavenly realm. And in that realm, everything is the way that it should be. It's the transcendent reality that is actually more real than our current reality. And that's encouraging, because in our current reality, things are not the way they should be very often. There's loss, there's injustice, there's pain, there's disappointment. So it's good to know that the present reality doesn't have the final say. The transcendently, transcendent reality in the heavenly realm does. So if Jesus is in the heavenly realm and we've been blessed in that heavenly realm, then we can have assurance that indeed we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing because those blessings are in Christ and we are in Christ. And again, one of the things that really hits me is that we see this current reality. So it's hard to get our minds around the idea that the transcendent reality is actually more real. But that's what scripture says over and over. Okay, so how does this actually work? I actually don't know. But <laughs> one clue, I think, is that this is the work of the Holy Spirit, which Paul talks about towards the end of this passage. Um, we hear that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And I think that's certainly true, obviously. But a lot of times we think about that in individual terms. The Spirit lives in me, the Spirit lives in you, the Spirit lives in you, and you, and we go around like that. But if you notice in this passage, look at the pronouns. They are all plural. We, our, us. So when we become believers, we are placed into the one glorious body of Christ in which the Spirit dwells. So a th way to think about that is we are placed into something that is so much bigger than ourselves. It's not just the Spirit dwelling in me, it's that now I dwell in the body of Christ together. And that's really the key that I think this passage is, is talking about. <clears throat> so at least one of the spiritual blessings that we have is that we get to be joined with believers in this room, around the world, throughout all time. Um, and despite how isolated the pandemic has made a lot of us feel, and again, we're coming out of that, one of the things I really want to stress is that we are organically knit together in the body of Christ. And that is something that we have not lost. That is something we can never lose in Christ. Now, I want to share a story that made this very real to me. <clears throat> and perhaps you've had a similar kind of experience. One time I was in the airport in Amsterdam. I don't know if you have an opportunity to be in Schiphol Airport, but it's, it's worth the journey itself. <laughs> it's an amazing airport. And I had a couple of hours between a flight. So I went into a cafe and, and I don't know what, I ordered something. It was very crowded. So this couple came up to me and they asked if they could share the table. Of course. So we started chatting, and it turns out they were on their way home to Kenya, and I was on my way home to the United States. That was kind of normal chit-chat that you have in an airport, whatever. But as we progressed a little bit, we both began to realize, all three of us began to realize that we were believers. So for one hour in a very crowded airport cafe, we had an amazing time of worship and fellowship and prayer. 
And at the end of that hour, I knew this brother and sister and felt more connected to them in one hour than I do with some people I've known for years. That's the spiritual reality of being placed into the body of Christ and experiencing something that's true in the spiritual realm. And that gives me a glimpse of what this idea of the heavenly realm means. Now, we have that now when we join together right here in this room. For those who are joining us virtually, we have it on Wednesday night. Believe it or not, we have that knitting together via Zoom. Can you imagine But whenever we are gathered together and experience the reality of fellowship together, we are somehow mysteriously knit together in a spiritual way that enables us to understand what the heavenly realm is like. And this also means that we get to have the spiritual blessing of all the different kinds of gifts that dwell in us collectively. We have leadership gifts, administrative gifts, preaching and teaching gifts, gifts of hospitality, serving others, giving, making worshipful song and music, gifts of wisdom and encouragement, gifts that welcome and embrace, gifts of blessing that link us to each other, to sisters and brothers in Rwanda, many other parts of the world, gifts that, and blessings that we've been given that will bless our community here in Highwood. That is a tremendous uh, encouragement. One thing I've always been encouraged about is Praise God, no one individual has all spiritual gifts. Collectively, we do. Collectively, we have in our midst exactly what we need by God's good grace. So yes, we have experienced much loss in this season, but we have not lost any of the spiritual blessings or spiritual gifts that are ours in Christ. Now, the rest of this passage (coughs) gives a detailed list of many of the blessings that we have in Christ. There's an extravagant outpouring of spiritual blessings in these verses. In fact, in the Greek, and sorry, I just have to mention this, another occupational hazard, I guess, but in the Greek, verses 3 through 10 are actually one long sentence. Now, you can just hear Paul's English teacher with a red pen pen in hand saying, break it up a little bit. Nobody can follow a sentence that's that long. And that's what all English translations do. So if you look at an English translation, you have multiple sentences. Um, But editor that I am, I actually agree with Paul on this one. Because the effect of this, without any punctuation, just one long sentence, is to give the idea of blessings that are overflowing in a cascading waterfall of blessings. One scholar calls this the grammar of worship. And who could find fault with that? Greek, grammar, worship, it's the best of all possible worlds. Now, I can only touch on a few of these blessings, but each is rich and glorious. So perhaps you can take some time later on to meditate, or as you're following along in the bulletin, you can just take note of these. The first one starts in verse 4, where it says, We have been chosen from before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless. If ever there was a reason to feel special, this is it. And yet, the idea of God choosing some individuals often makes us feel very uncomfortable because it suggests that some are not chosen. It's like, I got the invitation to the party and you didn't. But that is not what this passage is saying. 
God knows all things, including the destiny of all people. And praise God, we don't. But this statement is actually directed toward believers, and it isn't really saying anything about others. The invitation is freely given. Whenever anybody becomes a believer, they have been chosen from the creation of the world. Being chosen, however, is a statement about God's work in Christ and not about who's in and out. Actually, this truth has much more to say about God's love for the whole world. And if we look through the Bible, and don't worry, we won't go through the entire Bible this morning, we would see that God chooses people so they can bless others. Think about Abraham. In Genesis 12, God leaves his own country and doesn't even know where he's going by God's command. Now, if we read carefully in Genesis 12, there is no particular reason given as to why God chooses Abraham. The text doesn't say that he was so good and he was so faithful. That happens later in Genesis 15. Genesis 12 gives us no indication why God chose Abraham. But as we continue on in Genesis 12, we find out that God chose Abraham to bless all the families of the earth. So God's choosing of one was for the blessing of many other others. Now, if we continue through the Old Testament, we would see the same pattern that God chooses groups like the nation Israel or individuals like David. I don't know that God chose David for his dancing ability. Maybe that was part of it. I'm not quite sure. But we see that God consistently chooses to extend his blessing. So God has chosen us in Christ to be a blessing to those around us, to be a channel of that overflowing blessing that we get in this passage in the various places where he has placed us, where we work, where we live, where we go to school, right here in Highwood, and certainly beyond. And today's passage in Ephesians links our being chosen with being holy and blameless. Now notice that the We are chosen to be holy and blameless, and we are not chosen because we are holy and blameless. That is very encouraging, at least for me. Um, But this is yet another spiritual blessing, that we're being transformed from what we were apart from Christ into what Christ is doing in us. So we will be fully and completely who Christ has made us, and that's one of the blessings that he's already accomplishing again, I don't know about you, but this is a tremendous encouragement because I don't always feel holy and blameless, but it's the work of God in Christ. Now let's go to the second blessing, and that's in verse 5. Um, we have been adopted to sonship. Now I'd like to say adopted to sonship and daughtership, but I want to stay on sonship for a second because this is making a clear connection to Christ God's Son. And because we've been adopted to this same kind of sonship, this is saying that we now have been adopted and made sons and daughters in a parallel way to the way that Jesus is God's son. Adoption in the Roman Empire was fairly common. And in fact, most of the Caesars adopted somebody if they didn't have a son. So it's a very common practice. Um, And an adopted individual would have all the full legal status and all the rights, the responsibilities, and the status that would come with that. And I think Paul probably had some of this in mind. But I've also myself been very struck 
by the unbelievably beautiful image of adoption. Um, as with all things in life, adoption can come with complications and challenges, but overall I think it's an amazingly beautiful picture. Um, when I was in college, my college pastor and his wife were expecting their first child. And when the little baby boy was born, he died within hours. That was a tragic loss, obviously. But miraculously, they were able to adopt a baby girl such that Emily could breastfeed the baby. Now, every single time, and I've known Becky for decades now, every time I see Becky, she is a living picture of what God has done. That he took a little girl who did not have a family, and he placed her into a family who loved her. That's what God has done for us. We once did not have a family, but God has placed us into his family. And again, although we have lost many things in this season, that is something that we have not lost. The reality that we are God's sons and daughters has not been lost. So we move to another spiritual blessing. This one starts in verse 7, and that is redemption. The image here goes back to the Exodus, when God delivered his people from their enslavement. Um, Colossians 1 talks about this redemption in terms of God rescuing us out of the realm of darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of his beloved son. What an amazing image that is. As some of you know, I became a believer when I was 15, and it was during an extremely troubled time in my family. My family was not particularly religious, and I have always had this very strong feeling that God plucked me out of the darkness and the chaos, and he brought me into his kingdom. It's, a, it's one of the most powerful ways that I think about what, the God, what God has done in my life. And he did it because of his grace. And the term that often comes to my mind is his generosity. Sometimes we think about God as withholding, but he is generous beyond all that we can imagine, lavishly giving in so many ways. So this is yet again another spiritual blessing, one that we have not lost during this season. Now in the second part of verse 8 through the, uh, verse 10, God talks about revealing the mystery of his will to us, which is described here as bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. And this is yet again another amazing spiritual blessing. It's the blessing of reconciliation. Now, in Colossians, Paul talks about this mystery of, uh, in terms of the Gentiles being brought into the people of God. And in Colossians 1.27, he talks about it in terms of Christ in us, collectively, the hope of glory. In our passage today in Ephesians, um, you might have noticed, if you look carefully, in verses 11 through 14, there's a switch from us language to you language. Now, it's you plural. Um, in California, the plural of you is you guys. In other parts of the country, the plural of you is y'all. But I just, being a Californian, I can't say y'all. But it is plural. And the image that's coming here is that specifically Gentiles who were far off are now being brought into the people of God. Later on in Ephesians 2, Paul is going to talk about this in terms of the dividing wall being taken down. 
So the point that's happening, the point that's being made here is that God is now creating a new humanity, one that is not defined by humanly understood divisions, but one that is miraculously brought together as a new humanity in Christ. And uh, again, this is um, a a really phenomenal uh, way of thinking about this, but if we think about the idea of God reconciling what has been painfully separated and rejected, it's a tremendous encouragement. Obviously, we all know there are many ways in which our world has been divided, and there's actually so many, many ways in which Highwood has been divided. Um, I'm hesitant to share this example, but I'll go ahead and do it, but I found this out very painfully when I was looking for a house here. Um, my house is just around the corner, kind of, but one realtor assumed that I was looking for an investment property, and I guess I should have really been flattered. Um, but she took me around looking at this one particular house, and in it there were multiple families. In one room there was a toddler standing by a window with a lot of peeling paint. Now the house was definitely over 70 years old, which means there was probably lead paint around. Um, Later, as we went to the basement, there were a bunch of mattresses stacked up, and she assured me that these were being stored for a friend. Then she, at the end of looking at the house, she said, oh, you will love these tenants because they pay cash every month. You can connect the dots as well as I can. Um, That house still weighs on me. And this is the part I may be a little hesitant to share, but if I could have a vision of ways that bridges could be built, I would love to find a way to buy these houses, fix them up, and provide affordable rent for people. It would be an amazing way to build a bridge. Now, a little bit less ambitiously, perhaps, we get to do that already when we have the coat drive. Anybody who's come and helped with the coat drive in November, October, November, whenever we have it, what a way to build bridges in our community. There's other ways that we're exploring, and there's just multiple ways that we can reach out. Even the Highwood Evening Market is another way to build bridges. It's those bridges that bring about the, the they create the context in which God can work this amazing work of uh, creative of reconciliation. And God is endlessly creative. It's, it's his work. It's not our work. And it's so exciting to see the ways that God will bring down the walls and keep forming that new humanity in Christ. I would be wrong to not say that it is work. Um, Sometimes it's the painful work of listening and making mistakes and saying the wrong thing and being misunderstood, but it flows out of the spiritual blessing of unity and reconciliation of God making all things new in Christ. And I want to encourage us, we have not lost this either. Finally, toward the end of this passage in verses 11 to 14, we find yet another spiritual blessing and that is that we have been sealed in the Holy Spirit. In many ways, this is the blessing that binds all the other blessings together. Here the Spirit is described as a down payment that guarantees our inheritance. Now, earlier I talked about the heavenly realm as the transcendent reality and our present earthly realm as not being the ultimate reality. As we've seen in this passage, we certainly have an abundance of spiritual blessings here and now. We have the power of the Spirit dwelling within us. We have the blessing of numerous spiritual gifts. We've been forgiven. We've been made holy and blameless in His sight. We're being formed into God's new humanity, 
where things are being reconciled to Christ. We currently have all of this and much, much more. And yet, we're acutely aware that we're still in the midst of a broken, hurting world in which pain and loss are all around. But the Holy Spirit has been given to us, a powerful and ever-present reminder that this is not the final, ultimate reality. We've been adopted, and we are heirs. We are now experiencing part of our glorious inheritance, here and now as we worship and journey together. We know in the depths of our being that there is more, and we long for that, sometimes even painfully. And the Holy Spirit assures us that we will indeed enter into our full inheritance, and this cannot be lost. Started out in several points through this sermon, I've talked about this being a profound season of loss. And maybe I'm preaching to myself, but I think we've all experienced many losses to varying degrees. So my prayer is that our hearts will be deeply encouraged by the glorious vision of the unseen reality that is more real than what we can actually see, that will be swept up in the truly awesome work that God is doing by bringing unity and reconciling all things to himself, a work that places all of our individual stories and circumstances into the vast and overarching story of God's great work in our midst, a story that he began before the beginning of time, and a story that he will continue to its perfect completion. I pray that we all would grasp that we truly do have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, and we would grow in our realization that the blessings are not up there or out there, but they are present right now, right here. We may have lost a blue pencil, we may have lost a mitten, or we may have lost things that are far more painful from that, but we have not lost any of these blessings. Praise God.